Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, uh, we've been really, we've, we've kind of based a series on this very simple, well-known uh, verse, this well-known proverb, and uh, it goes like this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. It's the dichotomy of that, uh, trusting the Lord with your heart as opposed to leaning on your own understanding. I, 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 we mentioned the first week of this series that um, a common interpretation of the word heart. And so if we say, hey, we, we should live out of our hearts, not just out of our heads, uh, the way that we sort of interpret the word heart or the idea of heart oftentimes is feelings, nothing more than feelings. And so we, we often think of heart as being what you feel, emotions. And so, uh, and so trusting the Lord all your heart, we kind of associate with trust your gut. And, uh, and so when I grew up in church uh, as a teenager, uh, I grew up in a, a style of church that the, the value, the number one value, was how you felt in terms of God. And so, uh, and I would, I'll put it this way, experiences. And so the experience with God. And so uh, feeling the presence of God, feeling the, the move or the unction of the Holy Spirit. I love that word, unction. And so uh, feeling God, having kind of, we would call them mountaintop experiences with God. And so where God would affect you even emotionally. And so that was a huge value. And so I grew up with that being the centerpiece. And then as time went on, I, I, I really started to hunger and crave good, solid theology. And so uh, I started to chase after good, solid theology. And so the pendulum can swing. And, uh, and so I found myself at a place where it was no longer the top value was an experience. Uh, the top value became for me intellectual. And so knowledge became, and, and even when you get to a place where you start really valuing uh, the intellectual side of, of religion, you even start looking down your nose at the people chasing the feeling. And so it, it, it does come uh, kind of built with or equipped with pride oftentimes, which we'll talk about. But uh, I, I wasn't as much in, in interested in the emotional experience as I was the intellectual advancement. And so uh, this, this kind of juxtaposition, the, the idea of, of chasing experience and centralizing experience versus chasing intellectualism, centralizing intellectualism, uh, these are two sides of the same coin. And uh, they are not on competing sides. They are actually very much one and the same. In fact, uh, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll, we'll, we'll read more of it next week, but uh, there's an interesting comparison where uh, the Apostle Paul talks about the, the Jewish people who, uh, as he puts it, they, they chase, they desire, they crave signs. Uh, he says the Jewish people, they want signs. In other words, they want experiences. They want uh, manifestation and evidence. And then he, he compares that. He says the, the Greeks, they want knowledge or wisdom. They want wisdom intellectualism. And, uh, and he says, so what we do is we preach Christ crucified. And, uh, and then he goes on to say, when we do that, when we preach Christ crucified, it is a stumbling block 
for the Jewish people who are craving the experience. Uh, Suddenly, they get tripped up on the simplicity of Christ, faith in Jesus and Him crucified. They They get tripped up. This is a stumbling block. And then he says, it is foolishness for those who are craving wisdom because uh, when we hear the gospel, when we hear the simplicity of Christ, uh, and we're intellectuals, uh, it sounds like foolishness. To, to simply say it is faith, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and, and righteousness, that is foolishness. Too simple. But uh, these are two extremely common schools of thought. Uh, I've lived life in both of these schools of thought. I've, I've made both of these the central issue in my life. I've experienced both sides of this coin. Um, and, and you see this from the beginning. You go back. We, with the first week we talked about the, the fall, Genesis chapter 3. And, and uh, the, the Bible describes the temptation of Eve to, uh, to, to move towards the tree of knowledge of good and evil like this. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. That, those, those words, those descriptions are experiential and emotional. It's sensational. Uh, she saw that it, that looks delicious. And then it goes on to say, and the tree was also desirable to make one wise. So it's like this, this, this tree is all-encompassing. It's, it is the, the priority of experience and the emotion, the, the sensationalism, and it's also the priority of knowledge and intellectualism. And so she, she was moved by both of these things. It was, it was a priority of both experiential, uh, this experiential value and also the intellectual side. But, as we find, these two, these two primary motivations did not work out terribly well for her. And, uh, and they, they continued to not work terribly well for us either. And so the priority of, of trusting the Lord with our heart is not the priority of living life uh, primarily in our emotions. Uh, what, what the Bible is saying in, in here in, in Proverbs, uh, living life out of our heart, trusting God with our heart, the Bible says in Romans 10.10, 10, it's with a heart a person believes. And so this is a conversation about walking and living by faith. So the primary, the, the primary motivation, the primary uh, source of life is something that is beyond us, that is deeper, and it is actually rooted in faith. Proverbs 4.23, just, just one chapter later in the book of Proverbs from, from where we've been. Above all else, guard your heart because that's the wellspring of life. Now, it's not saying that your heart is the wellspring of life. It's saying the wellspring that your heart is connected to is the wellspring of life. And this is where the wellspring shows up, via faith. So that is where life is. And so the conversation is to guard above everything else the wellspring of life. Guard what you believe. Guard the source of life. And what all this kind of equates to is, again, as we read the first first week of this series, uh, Eve places in her own mind the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the very center of the garden. That's her description, her words. The tree that God made that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil is in the center. And what we get as far as the description of God's creation is that the tree of life is the center 
of the garden. And so it, it, this whole conversation comes down to which tree we've placed in the center. Uh, what is our source of life? What, where does the source of life come from? Is it my own personal opinion? Is it my own personal perspective? Is it simply how I feel? Uh, all those things are shifting and it's a moving target and they are not fixed. But faith in Christ is fixed because only He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the instruction of Proverbs 3.5, uh, it does not say, do away with understanding. It doesn't say understanding is inherently evil or wrong or bad. Uh, it doesn't say that at all. It, it simply says that it is not to be leaned on. And so that statement, uh, understanding, all that would fit within it. Wisdom, knowledge, feelings, emotions. Uh, the, none of these are inherently bad. In fact, I would say that they're all good. Those are all good things. Um, those thoughts, uh, concerns, feelings, emotions, these are all beautiful gifts from God. They're just not meant to have the, the, the weight of our life leaned upon them. Um, Jesus addresses the religious leaders of his day with this statement. And this feels almost contrary to a lot of our church experiences growing up, but including mine. But John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them, in the actual scriptures themselves, you have eternal life. But it is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you will have You've got to really sit with this one and, and consider what's being said. Now, first of all, they, they didn't have the New Testament yet. They're, they're looking at the, the, old, the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. They've got the words of the prophets. They're reading the Old Testament, and he's saying that you, you go to them, and you, you're looking at these things as if the intellectual understanding of the words on the page are going to bring you everlasting life. A simple rationalization an understanding of the of the just the the words on the page the thoughts and ideas that are being conveyed those thoughts and those ideas are going to save you he says no that's not the purpose of this book that's not the purpose of the scriptures the purpose of the scriptures is this and he says they all testify of me so all of the scripture, from cover to cover, Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed, is all Jesus. He's the word. He became flesh. This book is meant to connect us to a person, not give us helpful thoughts and ideas and life hacks to live our best life. I love this statement. This is from one of my favorite authors, Robert Capon. He said it this way, we are not saved by what Jesus taught. We are not saved by what we understand Jesus to have taught. We are saved by Jesus. Jesus is our salvation, not our opinion of him. We put all the eggs in the basket of the, the, the tiny little box that we call our own personal theology. 
and we try to make God fit in there. And God's like, I'm not fitting in there. You, you, you can't afford the shipping and handling on the box that I would fit into. Uh, this is way beyond his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, and they are so, who can comprehend the mind of the Lord? We can't. We walk by faith, we live by faith, because faith is a connection to the person of Jesus Christ. Faith is not an opinion about Jesus. Faith is not a, uh, a configuration of the right thoughts, actions, and deeds, the, the correct cocktail that creates a successful Christian. Faith is a direct connect to the living God. That's what faith is. And faith has kind of been reduced to this mental destination. It is, it is not. In fact, we, we talked about it over the last couple of weeks. We talked about with Peter walking on the water. Once he stepped out of the boat, all rationale was out the window. There's no understanding this. It's, it, you're living in a place where you're simply trusting the relationship. You're trusting a person. We are saved by grace, which is un, his unmerited love and favor, through faith, which is our relationship and connection to the person of Jesus. Because we know Jesus, because he loves us, and because we trust him, we are saved. Not because we jump through the required hoops. Not because we've done enough to earn anything. In fact, the very, ne- the very definition of grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved love and favor. It is the very nature of what grace is. If you can deserve it, if you can earn it, if you can merit it, it ceases to be grace. We have to be out of our depths in order to receive the grace of God. That's why the Bible says God God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the people who know they need it. When faith, or more specifically, the relationship we have with Jesus isn't the wellspring of life, when we don't place the tree of life, which is Jesus, in the center of our lives, what we begin to do, and this is natural, we begin to take matters into our own hands. And then life becomes a series of self-salvation projects because we all hunger and thirst for righteousness or rightness. We all hunger and thirst for things to be made right. And so if we're not trusting Jesus to work all things out for us, then we go into business for ourselves. And this life becomes one big series of self-salvation projects with ourselves cast as the Savior. I've said this for years. There's one throne that that exists in our hearts and, and... the only, the only um, variable is whose keister is sitting on said throne. Is it his or is it mine? Um, when I was a, a youngster, uh, I was, I think it was about 11, 10 or 11 years old. Uh, my family, uh, my, un- my great uncle lived in, in California. And so we decided to load up my, uh, an- another uncle's conversion van that was just state-of-the-art, had a tiny little TV and a VCR, which was just like, I mean, that was, that was like you're living, it was the Jetsons at that point. You're like living in the future. And so it was just to cast the scene. It was me, 11 or 12-year-old Chris, uh, my, my sister Allison, who turned two years old on that trip at the Grand Canyon that day. That was a cool thing. 
uh, my sister Charity, who was always very nice to me at this stage of life and great to travel with. Uh, and then uh, my mom, her mom, and two of her aunts. I'm still uh, a little, bringing this up is still a little difficult for me because of how scarring this trip was, being the only male and being 12. But anyway, um, we traveled uh, in a van across the, uh, uh, across the country, and uh, then we got to uh, California, and we met up with my, my great uncle and my great aunt, and, uh, and finally another dude, and he looked just like Tom Selleck. He was Magnum P.I. to me, and sweet mustache, and uh, he drove a, a Porsche. 944. He's like, Chris, you ride with me. I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to pick up girls. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, we rode around, and so we're traveling. We're going different places. We go to Las Vegas. We go to these, all these different places. And, uh, um, and so I'm, I'm having the time of my life. And, and, uh, and so anyway, we get back from the trip, and it's a cool memory for me. In fact, I got a picture of me on that trip. So this is me in California. And uh, for those who don't remember, those shorts were called jams. And they were my jam, for sure. I'm wearing Airwalk shoes because I was a skater. Uh, those, those glasses flipped up. Uh, there was a show called A Different World, and uh, a guy named Kadeem, Kadeem Harrison played a character named Dwayne, Dwayne uh, Wade. Wayne. I always say Dwayne Wade. He played a basketball player named Dwayne Wade. He played a guy named Dwayne Wayne, and his glasses, he always wore these flipped up sunglasses. And I was like, that, that is the cool, coolest human on the planet. I just bought those glasses again. I have them, and so I'm back to being cool. But anyway, it's, it's heartbreaking to know I will never again be as cool as I was in this picture. With The, the mullet was coming in nicely, i got to say. Uh, it, was, it was developing nicely. But, you know, when you're unfaithful with a lot, God gives you a little. So anyway, um, uh, so this guy, believe it or not, look at, and look at those legs. It looks like I'm riding a chicken. Uh, so uh, that guy is uh, believed that he knew everything, that guy, which is hilarious. So when we got back from our trip, my mom said to me, Chris, you want me to tell you what your Uncle Ben said about you? I said, yeah, that I'm cool and and great with the ladies. And uh, he's like, no, he didn't say that. Uh, He said, man, Chris is a nice kid. It's a shame he knows everything. (laughs) Not what you want to hear. And, uh, and so my mom was, was forced as a parent to address a, uh, a syndrome that is now ubiquitous. Uh, it's called know-it-all syndrome. And uh, she had to address the reality that her kid was a know-it-all. And how annoying and obnoxious is that? Uh, so everything my uncle would tell me, hey, Chris, you know, th- th- that's the... Uh, that, that, that's this site. That's, this is Bryce Canyon. Check out Bryce Canyon. I'm like, yeah, no. I don't. This is pre-Google, man. I didn't know nothing. And so uh, I had to deal with, the, my mom had to deal with uh, this, this know-it-allism that, I've got to be honest with you, is more rampant in our culture now than it was in 1988 or whenever that was. And so it, it, is, a, it is something that it exists in our culture that every individual walking this place, the, the, the face of this earth, believes in and of themselves they've got it figured out. And their opinion just happens to be the right one. So bring up any random topic in any random conversation, and they believe that they have solved the rest, they have solved the mystery, they know exactly 
how to look and see every single... And it's funny, you could bring up a random talk about, a topic about something that has absolutely nothing to do with them or their life, and they've got an opinion about it. And their opinion is the right one. And I'm saying they, and I'm also including us. Um, we think, we believe that life is about making up your mind, being resolved about every, every opinion... Every thought, everything you've got to have an opinion on, you've got to have your place to stand, and then you begin to, whether you mean to or not, to alienate, to divide, to choose camps. We're extremely tribal. Uh, tribalism is running rampant, and so we'll get along with someone, we'll be friends with someone, we'll love them, we're like, this guy's fun, and then somehow it comes up who they voted for, we're like, ah, well... You're dead to me now. That's it. What this is, this is, a, this is a symptom. This is a symptom. This is fruit showing up. The root of this goes far deeper than just that, than just know-it-allism. It, it comes from a place of pride. It comes from a place of putting the wrong tree in the middle of the garden where we think that I and what I think and what I feel is the primary source of life. And so where, what comes from that is the evidence of pride, arrogance, whatever, ego. Humanism, uh, we start living, when we, when we centralize self, God is sort of just this far-off idea. And so, but what it really comes down to is pop psychology in personal humanism, centralization of self. You know what you got to do. You know what I need to do. You know what I need to teach you to do. This is the recipe for true life. I'm going to go back to John 5. You think that in these words, you have everlasting life. Those are scriptures. Those aren't pop psychology. And we think in pop psychology, we have eternal life. Individualism. Self-centered individualism, where I am the, I'm the center of the universe, and everyone needs to get on board because I'm the star of this movie, you're all supporting cast, and if you want to get best supporting cast Oscars, you better get with the program. When we place the wrong tree in the middle, we're putting ourselves in the middle. And we are leaning on our own understanding, and that leads to pride. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says this, the Apostle Paul makes this declaration, knowledge makes arrogant. Uh, Another translation puts it this way, uh, knowledge makes us feel important, but love edifies. I love this sentence. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, let me just I'm going to say that one more time. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone lo- loves God, he's known by God. If anyone thinks they know anything, then they are, they're, they're not there yet. In our world, in our culture, we, we, we cultivate know-it-allism. 
And what the, the Scripture says is that if, you, if you're living there, if you, if you even think you know anything, if you think that any of this thing, any of this whole world, any of life is figured out and resolved in La Cabeza, then you're not there where you need to be yet. See, pride, pride has this tendency to put up a wall against spiritual things. Spiritual things are, are, are resisted by pride, and so it's even looked down upon. So uh, when you kind of live life out of your own head and someone says, well, I'm just trying to trust Jesus and, and hopefully He'll leave me, you look at that... <laughs> The Bible says that fool in their heart says that there is no God. It's foolish. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. You see a, a trend. This is know-it-allism was rampant in, in Corinth. And so you see the Apostle Paul bringing this up quite a bit. He says this, a natural man, one that lives living out of, leaning on their own understanding, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And therefore he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things and yet himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I love that. Spiritually appraised. Uh, there is an... I... I, I I love Monopoly. It's a fun game. And, but you have to be careful because if it goes beyond like an hour, you're going to hate your family. And <laughs> all relationships are done. And uh, it's, it's, it's not good. But anyway, at first it's fun. I get the thimble. It's, it's, fun. it's fun to play with. So uh, the money in Monopoly. Can you imagine taking all the money in Monopoly and, and going to uh, the Toyota dealership and say, I'll take the, uh, the Tacoma, please. And I'll pay in cash. Do you take cash? And it's like bright pink and <laughs> blue money all over the table. Uh, it is, it's, it, that, that money works really well in the setting of Monopoly. And, and you, you might have enough where you start putting a monocle in. You feel very, I kind of look like the Monopoly guy a little bit. But you start feeling very, uh, I don't know, you feel like you're, 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 you're on top of it. You're like the kingpin. But that money does not transfer over to, to real life settings because it's a different currency it's the wrong currency and we think intellectualism and and, and know-it-allism and being right and being opinionated and, and being outspoken all those things might carry a little bit of weight because you bully your way around in this world and you get respect and people kind of fear you and you, you intimidate people but you, you you take that same currency in a dynamic with the living god and he's like that's not that's monopoly money that's not how it works. What really, what God values, and again, we said this last week, the, the, the disciples said, how can, how can we work the works of God? What's our job? Well, Jesus' response is believe, faith. That's your job. Trust me. That's your, that's your job. And so uh, when we become more and more individualistic, our concern isn't leaning into what Christ is actively doing because we're we're busy consumed by doing our own thing and what's jesus actively doing the bible says i will build my church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is Jesus actively doing? He's building up his family, the body of Christ. He is drawing all men to himself. He is the head. We are the body. He is bringing everyone. The Bible says that he sets all the isolated into family. And so he bring, he's drawing his people to himself. The Bible says if he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. One of his last prayers, Lord, make them one with me as we are one together. Make them one. He is building his church. So what is Jesus actively doing? If we lean into and say, I, my priority is what Jesus is actively doing, what are we leaning into? We're leaning into the body of Christ, which is completely, it, I've said this a few times, and this analogy works for me. Valuing and prioritizing the community of faith, the family of faith, the body of Christ in today's day and age is like opening a blockbuster that only sells VHS tapes today. It is out fashion, it is outdated because we live in a place now that it is all about the individual self, how they think, how they feel, and the world can take a hike. I got my stuff, I'm tired, I'm busy, I got things, me. It breaks my heart uh, to see even kids today. They, 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 there's no, hey, you want to go do something because all their life is just me and my cell phone. It's sad. It's like you can see that and just know something in your head's like, that's not, that's just not right, though. That's just not right because we're created for we. We're not created for simply me. And so Jesus is actively building his church. And so when we, when we lean into that as a function, we know that we're actually being led into something beyond just ourself. When we, when we prioritize and, and really live simply individualistic. And so maybe we just keep the, 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 the friends that accommodate our individualism around as emotional support animals. Is that bad to say? Probably shouldn't have said that, Sonia. Oh, well, I'll go with it. Uh, so you, you just keep them around almost just to kind of satisfy and justify your own individualism. Just to be the, the buddies in the, in the buddy cop movie. But I'm, I'm going to live for me, man. This is all about me. Um, I'm going I'm to read one more. Well, I got two more. But this is uh, the main one. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read this. And this will show us I mean, this really clues us in into what this life's about. And it's beautiful. It's well, it's well written, obviously. But uh, Philippians chapter 2, I'll, I'll go verses 1 through 11. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my, my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's pride. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself out, 
taking the form of a bondservant and becoming made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him. So what's the pathway of being exalted, glorified? Humbling yourself to death. And bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father, our God. This is the most countercultural, backwards, upside-down approach to life that I can find. And you read it off the page, you're like, man, that, that, is, that sounds like a bunch. If you do that, you are an alien. You are a weirdo. You ever seen documentaries of salmon that, that swim back upstream, and you're like, what are you doing? And bears are grabbing them and stuff, and you're like, guys, come on, man. Just, just be happy where you are. Nope, got to go back upstream. It's like, why? This is weird. But then you find out, the Bible says, believers are meant to be weird. The word that the Bible uses, peculiar. That guy's peculiar. I've heard that a few times, which tells me I'm living for Jesus. <laughs> um, there's a statement here. Paul says, I want you to be of one mind. And again, definitions matter. We think one mind, what does that mean? On the same page in terms of opinion. You, you realize that Paul is ministering to people that he knows nothing of their journey. He's a Jewish Pharisee, primarily given to the, to the, to the pastoring and discipleship and, and evangelism to Gentiles who know, they, there's no relating. This is apples and oranges. This is further than that. This is apples and orangutans. This could not be further. It, it makes no sense. For, Paul is not the right candidate to talk to these guys because we got to relate, man. we got to go on the same page. Being of the same mind, we just read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have the mind of Christ. The same mind is not me making up my mind. The same mind is we have the mind of Christ. We have the commonality of Jesus. And it goes on to say, we have the same spirit. We have, this is the spirit that saves us. This is, we, we're part of the same body. Now, we may see things differently. The elbow has a very different perspective than the back of the knee. They see things differently, but they're part of the same body. They're united. We're the body. He is the head. He is the common ground. I'll go one step further. The Bible says that the perfect bond of unity is love. The very description of who God is. The mind, it doesn't have to agree on everything. Our minds don't have to agree on everything. In fact, Romans 12 says, don't conform. Don't, don't, don't just go along to get along. Don't, don't, you don't have to fit in. Fitting in is not the point. You belong. It's understanding that we all have the mind of Christ. The Spirit of God is our source. The wellspring of life is the Holy Spirit, is God himself, which informs and inspires and guides every aspect of our life. Knowledge puffs up and makes an, indi an individual feel important, but love 
builds others up. Now, you can walk around, and this is, the Bible says, you will be known by your fruit. And it is not difficult to see the fruit on the branches of our lives. In fact, I'll say this, more than anyone judging us, this is a great way to self-diagnose where is my trust? Where am I leaning? This will tell you without anyone getting confrontational, getting in your space, without anyone sitting you down for some sort of conference and intervention. This is a great way just to, hey, where, where am I at? It is, are we living to just puff ourselves up or are we committed to the endeavor, the priority of building others up. I, I think one of the greatest things that we could be for another human being on planet Earth in this day and age is consistent. One of the greatest gifts we can give anybody is consistency. I, in seven days, you will see my face. In seven more days, you will see my face. In seven days after that, you will see my face. And if you're not going to see my face, I'll let you know ahead of time. But then you're going to see it the next seven days. Life's got enough moving targets where what if, what if we just adjust our traffic patterns around the idea of we're in this together? It's a value system that is not fashionable. It's not common. But my God, is it beautiful. The Spirit of God is the source. It's the wellspring of our life, which is what's meant to be the source that guides us, that, that controls us. His love controls us. Faith expresses itself through love. And living and walking by faith means that we're continually directed beyond ourselves to love. That's the fruit that shows up on the tree. The priority of the perfect bond of unity is 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 the physical indication that we're living and walking by faith. The perfect bond of unity is love. In the, it is a physical manifestation, representation of making the main thing the main thing. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, and I'll end here, humility of mind, make, regard one another as more important than yourselves. The process of moving outside of self into a place of prioritizing others. It is a process of being humbled in our own minds. And what that means is, again, understanding, knowledge, emotions are beautiful. But emotions and feelings are notorious liars. If we build our life on our feelings, it's, it's, we're going to we're going to fall. There's got to be a, 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 a more substantial source and directive in our lives, and that is Jesus himself. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. With, but with humility comes actual, true, real-life wisdom. This idea of trusting the Lord with all our hearts and not leaning on our understanding is not anti-wisdom or anti-knowledge. It is pro-true wisdom 
true knowledge that comes through the source of the person of God and not through the opinions of people tweeting. We're building our life on something that is eternal, that is spiritually appraised, that is the currency of heaven, that lasts forever. The Bible says that these are shadows, the substance belongs to Christ. It is building our lives on something that lasts forever. 